is the Come Read With Me podcast. Welcome to Come Read With Me, the Book of Mormon, episode number 13. Welcome back. Today, we're going to keep reading in the Book of Mormon. We're going to be in 1 Nephi chapter 15. Before we get started, there's a couple of things I want to remind everybody about. If you don't have a Book of Mormon, please do reach out to us to get one. We can help you get the link so that the church can send you one, or we can send one to you as well. We'd be happy to help you. And the reason for that is we want to make sure while you're listening to this podcast, you will get the most out of it if you are reading the Book of Mormon. So grab a Book of Mormon, open it up, read along with us, have a pencil handy, highlight some things, write some questions, different things like that go a long way in helping you understand it in your own personal study. Okay, I'm going to give a quick recap of where we are, and then Dave is going to do the reading for us today. So where we are, Nephi is out in the wilderness with his family. His father had a vision, the vision of the tree of life, which we've gone over in several other chapters. And the reason is, is that Nephi went to the Lord and asked to be given a revelation to help him understand the vision that his father had. And he was given a vision that thoroughly explained many of the elements of his father's vision, and then also many other things on top of that, a truly miraculous vision that Nephi was given. And now we are coming back out of that vision, and Nephi is going back to talk to his family. And that's where we sit. So Dave, take us away. All right. We will be jumping in in 1 Nephi chapter 15, verse 1. And it came to pass that after I, Nephi, had been carried away in the spirit and seen all these things, I returned to the tent of my father. And it came to pass that I beheld my brethren, and they were disputing one with another concerning the things which my father had spoken unto them. For he truly spake many great things unto them, which were hard to be understood, save a man should inquire of the Lord. And they being hard in their hearts, therefore they did not look unto the Lord as they ought. And now I, Nephi, was grieved because of the hardness of their hearts, and also because of the things which I had seen, and knew they must unavoidably come to pass because of the great wickedness of the children of men. Okay, I'm going to jump in here real quick. One of the things I want to remind everybody of in the last chapter is one of the things that Nephi saw in his vision was the sort of future of his posterity. And part of that story was the ultimate destruction of his posterity. And so one of the things that he is grieved about here is he's coming back and not only are his brothers quarreling and arguing and misunderstanding or not understanding, but also he's still kind of grieved from what he had seen in that vision. That's kind of the state of mind Nephi's in. Great. Thank you, Eric. Jumping back in in verse five. And it came to pass that I was overcome because of my afflictions, for I considered that mine afflictions were great above all because of the destruction of my people, for I had beheld their fall. And it came to pass that after I had received strength, I spake unto my brethren, desiring to know of them the cause of their disputations. And they said, Behold, we cannot understand the words which our Father hath spoken concerning the natural branches of the olive tree, and also concerning the Gentiles. And I said unto them, Have ye inquired of the Lord? And they said unto me, We have not, for the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. Behold, I said unto them, how is it that ye do not keep the commandments of the Lord? How is it that ye will perish because of the hardness of your hearts? Do ye not remember the things which the Lord hath said? If ye will not harden your hearts and ask me in faith, believing that ye shall receive with diligence in keeping my commandments, surely these things shall be made known unto you. 
I think that last verse we just read is perfect. Describing a, a brother caring about his brother saying, dudes, have you forgotten what's going on here? If you'll just ask yeah. the Lord, he'll give it unto you. I love it. This section right here, verses 8 through 11, is kind of Nephi's little rant because he comes into his brothers and they're saying, we don't understand what he was saying about olive trees and we don't understand what he was saying about you know the Gentiles. And he says, well, did you ask of the Lord? And they <laughs> yeah. say no. And he kind of goes like, ugh. How do you not keep the commandments? How do you not go to the Lord with faith? How have you hardened your hearts? All of this stuff, it's great because he just kind of unleashes for a second before he actually does go into and describe really a a great answer for them. This is one of the things that really portrays the humanity of of this book to me that I absolutely love because I can absolutely picture a brother coming in and just in frustration having this moment where it's like, how are you not seeing this? Mm -hmm. Right? I love Mm -hmm. it. And in verse 11, there's a good bullet point list for us to follow of how we can inquire of the Lord and get the answers that we want. Not harden our hearts, ask in faith, believe that we'll receive, ask with diligence, keeping his commandments, and then surely these things shall be made known unto us. So that's just good little pointers for us that we can apply to the questions that we have of the Lord in today's day and age. Absolutely. All right, jumping back in in verse 12. Behold, I say unto you that the house of Israel was compared unto an olive tree by the spirit of the Lord, which was in our father. And behold, are we not broken off from the house of Israel? And are we not a branch of the house of Israel? And now the thing which our father meaneth concerning the grafting in of the natural branches through the fullness of the Gentiles is that in the latter days, when our seed shall have dwindled in unbelief, yea, for the space of many years, and many generations after the Messiah shall be manifested in body unto the children of men. Then shall the fullness of the gospel of the Messiah come unto the Gentiles, and from the Gentiles unto the remnant of our seed. And at that day shall the remnant of our seed know that they are of the house of Israel, and that they are the covenant people of the Lord. And then shall they know and come to a knowledge of their forefathers, and also the knowledge of the gospel of their Redeemer which was ministered unto their fathers by him. Wherefore, they shall come to the knowledge of their Redeemer and the very points of his doctrine, that they may know how to come unto him and be saved. And then at that day will they not rejoice and give praise unto their everlasting God, their rock and their salvation? Yea, at that day, will they not receive the strength and nourishment from the true vine? Yea, will they not come unto the true fold of God? Behold, I say unto you, yea, they shall be remembered again among the house of Israel. They shall be grafted in, being a natural branch of the olive tree, into the true olive tree. And this is what our father meaneth, and he meaneth that it will not come to pass until after they are scattered by the Gentiles. And he meaneth that it shall come by the way of the Gentiles, that the Lord may show his power unto the Gentiles, for the very cause that he shall be rejected of the Jews, or of the house of Israel." Wherefore, our father hath not spoken of our seed alone, but also of all the house of Israel, pointing to the covenant which should be fulfilled in the latter days, which covenant the Lord made unto our father Abraham, saying, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. A lot of great stuff in there, but I want to make sure we can clarify some of this for somebody who might be reading this for the first time. What this is dating back to really is talking about Old Testament stuff. So we're talking about Abraham there at the end, their father, Abraham. And really it's talking about the Abrahamic covenant. 
So in the Old Testament, Abraham makes a covenant with God that he will raise a posterity to keep the commandments of God, and for that, his seed will become sort of the chosen people of God. And so the olive branch and the olive tree that they're referring to, the olive tree is really the Abrahamic family, the Abrahamic lineage, that tree, the people of God. And what it's talking about breaking off and coming back, I know they just sort of described that here, but just to put it in more layman's terms, what it's saying is that Nephi, Lehi, and their families, they are a branch of that olive tree that is breaking off, that will eventually come back and be grafted back into the olive tree. And then it's also saying that what's going to happen is that his people are going to be scattered. So in 17, he says, when they are scattered by the Gentiles, so this is Nephi and his posterity, Laman and Lemuel and their posterity, and they're going to be scattered by the Gentiles um, before the Lord comes to give the Gentiles his gospel, which then brings it back to his people, right? And eventually all people will know that they are all members of this same tree, this same family, this Abrahamic family. And in fact, all of us, all people, whether or not you are from a true lineage of Abraham or not, can in fact become part of this covenant people. And that's what we're going to kind of learn throughout all of this, is that it has much more to do with taking upon the covenant and much less to do with, were you genetically you know, born from Bloodline. this posterity. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. And, and I also, when you first started explaining that, you know, you'd mentioned the chosen people of God or the chosen people of Abraham. And I think maybe what we could do is expand on that and say the covenant people of God or the covenant people of Abraham, because that was indeed what happened. A promise was made, a two-way promise was made between God and Abraham. If we put that into our lives in like the microcosm of our lives, don't we all kind of break off from where we began and then come back, you know? Absolutely. I mean, how, how many of us through life think, oh man, I can't wait till I grow up and get away from my parents. And then the older we get, we're like, oh man, I can't wait till I can just return to where my parents are. You know, it's just, it's just kind of interesting, the cycles. Absolutely. And to continue with that thought, all of us have times where we are not living up to our covenants. And all of us have times where we have left our covenants behind, or we've not lived up to them, or we've not put enough effort into them. And yet then we can return to them. Yeah. And we can come back to them and be grafted back in to our covenants. We can repent and return to the covenant by which we can still be blessed. Yep. One thing I will just add here too, this is a way, while it may not be the same language or analogies or metaphors that we would use in today's terms, this did make sense to Laman and Lemuel. That was part of the culture, the region, the, the grafting in of trees, an olive branch, fruit trees, whatever it was, of how to get rid of a tree that didn't produce fruit, but still, you know, this was all something relatable to them. And scriptural as well. This same yes, sort of yes. allegory was used commonly in scripture to sort of illustrate similar points. Yep. Yeah, perfect. Okay, great commentary. Thanks, Eric. Let's jump back in in verse 19. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, spake much unto them concerning these things. Yea, I spake unto them concerning the restoration of the Jews in the latter days. And I did rehearse unto them the words of Isaiah, who spake concerning the restoration of the Jews, or of the house of Israel. And after they were restored, they should no more be confounded, neither should they be scattered again. And it came to pass that I did speak many words unto my brethren, that they were pacified and did humble themselves before the Lord. And it came to pass that they did speak unto me again, saying, What meaneth this thing which our father saw in a dream? What meaneth the tree which he saw? And I said unto them, It was a representation of the tree of life. And they said unto me, What meaneth the rod of iron which our father saw that led to the tree? And I said unto them that it was the word of God. 
And whoso would hearken unto the word of God and would hold fast unto it, they would never perish. Neither could the temptations and the fiery darts of the adversary overpower them and to blindness, to lead them away to destruction. Wherefore I, Nephi, did exhort them to give heed unto the word of the Lord. Yea, I did exhort them with all the energies of my soul and with all the faculty which I possessed, that they would give heed to the word of God and remember to keep his commandments always in all things. And they said unto me, What meaneth the river of water which our father saw? And I said unto them that the water which my father saw was filthiness. And so much was his mind swallowed up in other things that he beheld not the filthiness of the water. And I said unto them that it was an awful gulf which separated the wicked from the tree of life and also from the saints of God. And I said unto them that it was a representation of that awful hell which the angel said unto me was prepared for the wicked. And I said unto them that our father also saw that the justice of God did also divide the wicked from the righteous. And the brightness thereof was likened to the brightness of a flaming fire, which ascendeth up unto God forever and ever, and hath no end. And they said unto me, Does this thing mean the torment of the body in the days of probation? Or doth it mean the final state of the soul after the death of the temporal body? Or does it speak of things which are temporal? And it came to pass that I said unto them that it was a representation of things both temporal and spiritual. For the day should come that they must be judged of their works, yea, even the works which were done by the temporal body in their days of probation. Wherefore, if they should die in their wickedness, they must be cast off also, as to the things which are spiritual, which are pertaining to righteousness. Wherefore, they must be brought to stand before God, to be judged of their works. And if their works have been filthiness, they must needs be filthy. And if they be filthy, it must needs be that they cannot dwell in the kingdom of God. If so, the kingdom of God must also be filthy. But behold, I say unto you, that the kingdom of God is not filthy, and there cannot any unclean thing enter into the kingdom of God. Wherefore, there must needs be a place of filthiness prepared for that which is filthy. And there is a place prepared, yea, even that awful hell of which I have spoken, and the devil is the preparator of it. Wherefore, the final state of the souls of men is to dwell in the kingdom of God, or to be cast out because of that justice of which I have spoken. Wherefore, the wicked are rejected from the righteous, and also from that tree of life, whose fruit is most precious and most desirable above all other fruits. Yea, and it is the greatest of all the gifts of God. And thus I spake unto my brethren. Amen. Awesome. That was great stuff. There's a bunch of stuff to dig into there. Um, let's start at, at the questions. So one of the things I love about this chapter is that the brothers are asking questions and there's several of them that they ask and then Nephi kind of keeps answering them. So the first one they asked was about the olive tree and trying to understand that. We just explained that in a little bit too, in more layman's terms of how that relates to Nephi and his family and leaving and then being returned. And then they ask, what is the tree that our father saw? He said, it's representation of the tree of life. He doesn't go into a lot of detail about what is the tree of life. So I guess this is a question, Dave. Do they, do we assume that they know what the tree of life is? You know, that's a great, that is a great question. It makes me wonder if maybe they did know and Nephi didn't record that here in his engravings of these, on these plates. But I would imagine that they did. Again, just with that culture, that time of world history, I would imagine that there was some sort of a tree of life. 
Yeah, and they would have analogy. had the writings. They would have had the writings of Moses and Genesis and everything else, which mentions the tree of life as well. So yeah, so that should be that should be common knowledge for them. So he just kind of briefly says it was a representation of the tree of life, and then they ask, "What is the rod of iron?" He says, "It's the word of God for those who would hearken unto the word of God and would hold fast unto it and would never perish." So these are people who are holding on to the rod, following the word of God, following everything they can to try and get to that tree of life. And then they ask about again the river of water and what that river of water means. He actually goes into some pretty great detail about what that river of water is. First, he says it's filthiness. And by filthiness, I take that to mean sin. It's sin. It's sort of the temptations and trappings of sin. And then he calls it an awful gulf, which separated the wicked from the tree of life. So that's important because the tree of life is, of course, that great happiness and joy that can come from partaking of the love of God. But you're, you're separated from that by essentially your sin. Your sin is the gulf that separates you from partaking of the joy of God. God wants you to have it. God wants to give it to you, but your sin is what keeps you from it. Um, And then he also goes into it that he says, it's a representation of that awful hell, which the angel said unto me was prepared for the wicked. So this is, when he says wicked here, and I think this is an important context for all of this, is that he goes for the rest of this chapter talking a lot about the filthy, the wicked, the unclean, all of these things. There's a, a place prepared for the filthy and unclean. And really what this is saying is the people who, who refuse to repent. Yeah. This is people who are stuck in their sin and refusing to rectify the situation. Because, of course, this is another example where I think we learned that Nephi does not have a perfect understanding of the gospel at this point. He's seen a vision of who Jesus Christ is. He saw a vision of Jesus Christ being born, but I don't think he has a full and complete understanding of what the atonement is or how that atonement comes to life. This is the miracle of the modern age in which we live because we have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. We have the Book of Mormon. We have the Pearl of Great Price. We have the Doctrine and Covenants. We've been given the fullness of the gospel. Nephi didn't have that here. And so, we understand that though he's talking about the wicked and the unclean and the unjust and all this other stuff, what he's saying here is there is a divide. There are the people who are choosing to not repent and the people who are choosing to live in their sin. And then there's the people who are choosing to try and get to the tree of life and to follow God and to partake of God's love. And that filthiness is what's separating the two from each other. So I think that's an important piece of this to understand is that that he's doing the best he can to describe with the knowledge he has, yet it still works. There's a few missing pieces, but it still works. Amen. That that was fantastic. A- absolutely. And one thing that I love about God is there's there's choices. There's there's a a balance. There's justice and there's mercy. There's filthiness and there's cleanliness. There's heaven. There's hell. There's all the you know these these different things that oppose one another that allows us to choose between one or the other. Yes. And the way that you just described it, you know, certainly Nephi goes into a little bit of detail about the filthiness and the justice of one who's not worthy to be in the kingdom of God and and things like that. But if you flip the other side of that coin, flip to the other side of that coin, that means that those who do choose to repent and those who do strive to follow the word of God and cling to the word of God and are pointing in the direction of that tree of life, can you imagine what's prepared for them? A place of cleanliness, a place of light, a place of progression, you know, everything that in opposition to what Nephi has described that's prepared for the filthy is exactly what will be awaiting those who are clean and followers of Christ. The opposite of which will be what's waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. That's great. Okay. So then that wraps up chapter 15. Dave, do you have any other final recap or anything else you take away from the chapter? 
we've pointed this out time and time again, but I like how relatable this family situation is with a mother and a father and brothers and sisters and family dynamics. We're going to, we can learn a lot from Nephi and his brothers and the way that they interact with one another and the times that they forgive one another and the times that they stumble and trip up. Uh, but I like how it, it's just real. It's just real. Yeah. It's, it, it's relatable, you know? This is one of those chapters that deepens my testimony because it, it, it is pure in its doctrine, but also so obviously human that I, I love it. I love reading it. But my key takeaway from this chapter really comes from verse 11. And Dave, this is what you read where Nephi is describing essentially how to get answer to prayer. And it says, harden not your hearts, ask in faith, believing that ye shall receive with diligence in keeping the commandments. And surely these things will be made known unto you. What I want to promise everybody who's listening right now is that that verse right there and those words I just read, that is an answer to you. That is a very personal and real answer to you if you are asking the question, how do I receive answer to prayer? This is how it works. I bear testimony of this, that if you put forth your best efforts in each of these areas, in keeping the commandments, in being diligent in keeping the commandments, in believing that you will receive in not hardening your heart, being open to the will of God. If you do those things, I promise you, God is there to answer your prayers. And this is a very important part. I say to my kids all the time, the most important thing you're ever going to learn in this life is learning how to pray and how to get answers to prayer. Because this takes diligence. This takes practice. This takes patience with yourself, with the weaknesses that you have, with overcoming those. But as you do, you will feel that light inside you and you will feel the answer to prayer. And may I just add, I believe that God wants to give us answers. He wants to a- to answer our prayers. He's not withholding. That's not the nature of God to be like, I know something you don't know. Like his nature <laughs> is to give us what he has. And I love how that invitation is there. And of, of all those things that you read, Eric, about how to get answer to prayer and how to have things made known unto us by the Lord, of not hardening hardening our hearts and asking in faith, believing that we'll receive, be diligent in keeping the commandments. Nowhere in there does it say you have to be perfect. Absolutely. Like there's these keywords of striving and trying and improving and asking again and being humble about it. I love that. Heavenly Father is willing to give to those that ask. Absolutely. And if there's any question of that, go back and read the Bible and read about all of the prophets of the Bible and how imperfect they were, right? And yet they still received revelation from God for the callings which they had. And, And you know what? That is true. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is the same for those who seek him. He works with you. He works with what you're able to bring to the table and he allows it to be magnified and he allows for weakness. He just doesn't allow for rebellion. And that is a big difference. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) well said. (laughs) Okay, then I think that's it for today. Great, thanks to those of you that are listening and uh, we appreciate the, the input, feedback, messages that we've received thus far and hope to continue to help you in your reading of the Book of Mormon. Yes, thank you. We have received a couple emails from folks and thank you for sending those out. Do reach out if you have any suggestions or things you'd like to hear on the podcast. We'd love to know more how to help people understand the Book of Mormon. But thank you very much for listening. Do join us again next time as we continue reading the Book of Mormon together. 
Quick disclaimer here, this podcast is not produced by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Everything expressed in this podcast is the opinion of the people making it, and it is not endorsed by the church or its leaders. Everything in this podcast is intended to promote faith in Jesus Christ by helping you understand the Book of Mormon. Please listen to this podcast with an open heart and pray for guidance from the Lord as you continue reading the Book of Mormon. Thank you for listening.